Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 401 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, I'm incredibly excited to tell you that Alyssa Weilerstein is on the program. Now, there are two, two cellists in the world whose work touches me very deeply. Yo-Yo Ma and Alyssa. So imagine my surprise when one day, going over social media, something popped up in front of me that made me think, does Alyssa Weilerstein have diabetes? And she does. Alyssa was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes 28 years ago when she was just about 10 years old. So she's here today to talk about that and also to indulge me as I ask questions about the cello. Now, I know that a lot of you might not be classical music fans, but I implore you, spend the next hour finding out what I love about the cello, and you might just love it too. Plus, you'll hear about some type 1 diabetes stuff. I'm tricking you into learning about the cello, but it's not really much of a trick if I'm telling you. During this episode, you're going to hear cuts from Alyssa's newest album, Bach Cello Suites. Many thanks to her record label, Pentatone, for allowing me to use some of the music. You can find out all about Alyssa on her website, AlyssaWeilerstein.com. You can see her upcoming schedule, a little biography, and of course, all of her albums right there in one place with convenient links to Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Before we start, please don't forget to check out t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. T1D Exchange is doing amazing things for people with type 1 diabetes by collecting data that helps people make better decisions about type 1. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. You need to be a U.S. resident with type 1 diabetes or the parent of someone with type 1 diabetes from the United States. It takes less than 10 minutes to become part of the registry adding your answers to their very simple and straightforward questions. The data they get from you goes on to help make decisions like setting A1C standards, whether or not people get test strips from their insurance, and if Medicare covers things like Dexcom. You really will be helping other people who are living with type 1 diabetes when you visit t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Join the registry today. Okay, you ready? This is Alyssa. I'm so excited. I have a uh, a podcast that is now 400 episodes old, all about type 1 diabetes. And I have been for the last, well, since the since the um the royal wedding, I guess. I've had it in my head that I could actually get a type 1 who played the cello uh, because <laughs> yeah. Because cello is 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 my, if you told me you were going to lock me in a dark room for the, for the rest of days and I could take one thing with me, I would take, I would take some unaccompanied cello piece with me. You have good taste. Thank you. And I have no background in it whatsoever. I am, I'm an absolute novice. I only know how I feel uh, when I hear it. I, Mm -hmm. I can only tell you that uh, a couple of years ago, when Yo-Yo Ma said he was going to um, be touring his his last album, I drove from the middle of New Jersey to Washington D.C. to hear him play. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> and I sat about yeah. eight rows from him mm-hmm. at the cathedral, and it was so cool. really amazing. And while my wife sat next to me, I think enjoying it, and at the same time wondering how because it seems incongruous my uh, my whole personality and the fact that this is what I, I don't think they fit together very well Interesting. that's great i really love it so i want to hear a little bit about um when you were diagnosed with type one how long ago was it it was 28 and a half years ago um i am 38 now and it was the month before my 10th birthday okay so i was gonna yeah. say when you were 10 but i didn't want to creep you out by proving that i knew how old you are <laughs> that's quite all right Um, good that you do your homework it's all right no no it's not just that i so i was following you on instagram before i recognized Mm -hmm. that you had diabetes oh really yeah okay and then one day you did something on instagram that made me go 
oh my God, does that girl have type one? I was like, because if she does, I'm getting her on this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed at all, by the way. The people listening who probably would never imagine this about me, but um, I don't know why it's such an odd thing to some people, but but we'll, we'll get into all this at some point. So you're 10 years old. Was there any type one in your family or other endocrine issues? Not that we knew of. Um, my mother said that her grandmother... I, her grandmother, her grandmother died when she was fairly young, so she wasn't fully aware. But that there was some diabetes there. She thought it was type two, actually, which of course, as we know, has no real genetic link to type one. Yeah. But um, my, many years later, my first cousin came down with it, and she was twenty three. So there's definitely on my mother's side of the family there. There's some sort of uh, genetic thing yeah. going on. I like but, how you said um, came down with it. I, I felt yes, I like came down that. with it. That's yeah. good phrasing. It's like you caught a cold. <laughs> okay. Um, 20, let's see, 20 years ago is 28 years ago, 28 years ago, 1990 ish in the middle. 1992. Yeah. It was actually the year um, I remember well, because it was the year that the DCCT trials came out with a definitive um, statement that said that tight control could greatly reduce the risk of complications. And so it was um, a very kind of, I mean, if one had to be diagnosed with it, it was a very sort of hopeful time. And so that was something that my doctors um, really made sure that my parents understood and that, that I understood also. And it was kind of motivation to, um, to right. really keep a good eye on the blood sugar. Well, even just a few years prior to that, yeah. the disease was all about just do your best and let's see how long yeah. you can make it, you know? Pretty much. Yeah. Like Pretty was- much. And so um, my mom told me actually many years later that, um, I mean, we had a lot of doctor friends and I was already pretty serious about the cello um, and then you know there was a very, very insensitive doctor friend who said to my parents, "Well, you know, you can forget about the cello. She, she's going to have neuropathy, neuropathy in her fingers when she's twenty five, and she won't be able to play." Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I'm glad not, you didn't listen. Not, to not them. very nice. Let, let me say, I'm glad you didn't listen to them because. <laughs> so, so you're gonna. There's gonna be a lot of moments where I'm gonna ask you to correct me during this if, if okay. you hear anything that I say that's wrong. But I <laughs> hear cello playing from artist to artist, and to me, it feels. I used to think of it as like more masculine or feminine, mm. like control of the strings or depth mm. of the tone. I don't even know how to put it, but you're the you're the first like female artist that I've heard that plays like a guy. I think is the way I think of it, <laughs> but I could be completely wrong. Like my intuition about what that is could be wrong, but you're you get more of a resonance out of the strings than it, it feels like. Like I am. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it feels like some people have a harsher touch and some people have a lighter touch. Am I anywhere near right about that? Yeah, I mean, although, have you ever heard Jacqueline Dupre? No. Should I? Uh, I Yes, definitely. Um, she was one of my, she was probably my primary role model um, as a child. And she had this no-holds-barred, um, complete natural command of the instrument and strength and sensitivity. I mean, like the perfect kind of combination of that and passion. And so I was really, really attracted to that and attracted to her, her approach to the instrument and to, to her sound and to her kind of, to her instinct. Um, there was something very raw about it. And so I, I think that's part of, um, that's part of kind of my, my own makeup with, uh, let's just say my, my sound, my earliest sort of sound concept. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually I feel pretty lucky because there um, there is a kind of gender imbalance with the cello. Uh, there are a lot more famous male cellists than there are female cellists, and the female cellists that I well, I mean, the, and the, the cellist that I gravitated toward actually was I mean, and I, and I listened to many and I admired many, but the one that I really related to was female. Okay, and and she played in such a way that I didn't think about her gender at all not for a second I, she she wasn't a role model because she was a woman she was just she was a role model because i just adored the way that she played so let me give you what i think is an amazing compliment and maybe i'm okay. out of my mind and okay. for a lot of people listening i'm going to put the music your by the way your record company sent me the music so i can like oh, i'll put it in right in here when what i'm talking about but awesome. around a minute and 52 into the prelude of suite 1 okay mm-hmm. it gets quick it it starts mm-hmm. to speed up And then after that, I cry when Ma plays it and you play it 
and no one else. Why is that? Like it pulls tears <laughs> right out of me. And I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it because I can listen to someone else play it and hear it and yeah. think, oh, that was done well and it uh-huh. feels clinical to me. But uh-huh. my eyes fill with tears and they fall down my cheeks when you play it and when he plays it. And I don't know why that is. And I just I'm happy about it. Thank you. I'm um, happy to, I'm happy to hear that. Thank you for telling me. Why does it happen? What 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 is it like so so for people who don't understand the cello, yeah. there's a couple of functions about it that absolutely light me up. There's a way that the that the tones lift you and keep you up. And then there's a way that they lift you and drop you. And then there's a way I feel like I'm being pulled forward and let go and then pulled forward again. But I don't know how to quantify any of that. But that's good. You should you shouldn't try to quantify it because it's there's a very. Um, I mean, I think uh, a person's response to listen to, listening to any music, not only the cello, though, I'll get to that. To, to I mean, to, to why the cello also always moved me and why I was so attracted to it. But there's something, even if you don't know anything about what you're listening to, you don't know the history, you don't know the, who the composer is. It doesn't matter. There is there is a very primal, very direct, and very um, emotional response that I think everybody has to music. Uh, babies have it to music. I mean, I remember when I, my, my daughter is now four and a half, but let's say when she was like a newborn and I was traveling with her already, I mean, there were certain things I would sing to her that would, if she was fussy, would immediately calm her down. And you could feel her feel the rhythm. You could feel her heart rate slow down. I mean, it's, it's really within us, I think, as human beings to really have a, a very direct and visceral response to music that we don't to, that we don't even have to spoken language. Um, as for the cello, um, and of course, I mean, Yo-Yo Ma, you, that you've brought up before, it has, has said this, that it's, and many, many others have said it, but the range of the cello and the timbre of the cello is the closest to the human voice um, of any, certainly any stringed instrument. Okay. And, uh, you know, from, from the, you know, from the deepest sort of uh, basso profundo voice into like this coloratura voice um, and every... And, and almost every, in every cello masterclass, you can hear the uh, the uh, the teacher saying, "Well, you know, you have to imagine the voice, and how would how would a singer go for that? You know, kind of go for that interval. How would the singer kind of go for that leap?" And we cellists are always trying to mimic yeah. the human voice and how somebody would sing. And so I think that I mean, you know, I was four when I dis- when I told my parents in no uncertain terms that I wanted to play the cello, and I mean, I, I can't tell you in any intellectual way, why, but that was, I think, I think that was the emotional, primal, visceral, um, reason why I I wanted to play cello. I I only have one other like physical. So there there are lower notes with the cello that I feel take the tension out of my spine up into my neck. It just, it relaxes me. Besides being physically touched in a sexual way, 
I have <laughs> no other comparison for how like the cello can make me feel. Like seriously, yeah, yeah. like I mean, another person yeah, reaching out and touching your skin somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's very human. Very very human. It, I don't know how I found it, and you know what? It's funny. I there I try to trace it back in my mind. Because I, I, I like a, an eclectic mix of music. But as a younger person, I was growing up in the late 80s. Like, we were all listening to Guns N' Roses and Metallica and stuff like that. Like, you know, there wasn't really... It's great stuff. Yeah, well, I still love it. But nobody was coming up to me and saying, hey, you should really listen to this. Other than I do wonder if Peter and the Wolf wasn't my first introduction Probably. to it. It's I, a lot of people's first exposure to classical music. Peter yeah. and the Wolf is fantastic. Right. I feel it's like really that may be it. Uh, yeah. but, and then after that, the West Wing, an episode of the West Wing where Yo-Yo Ma comes on and plays the child. Oh, that's right. He plays the first suite, right? Yeah. The first suite? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't, I can't find another, but I can't remember. I'm 48 now. I can't mm-hmm. remember it not being, it's, it's my go-to music constantly. And I, I like it in other forms and fashions, but why is, why is Bach, is there something technically about Bach that makes it? Is that the pan ultimate piece to play uh, or no? Well, I mean, every composer that came after Bach was uh, indirectly or directly influenced by what he did. Okay. He was a groundbreaker. He was um, in, in, in every way in terms of I mean, the, the polyphony that he created, the, 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 rhythmic, um, the, the rhythmic language. I mean, really pretty much everything you can think of. Um. He also, I, I mean, like, if, if, let's say if we're, if we're speaking about the cello suites, we're, if we're, if we're talking a bit about the cello. Yeah. Um, the cello suites, of course, we know they were written 350 years ago or so, and yet they feel like they were written yesterday. There's a timelessness about Bach, which is, and a universality, and yet it's still, you know, still some of the you know, high church um some, some is literally church music, but th- this is not, this is not religious music, but right. um, this is... Um, Intellectually, emotionally, um, it's it's the music that, that is. I think it's the most satisfying and um, pleasurable uh, to listen to. Yeah, I, I always thought up until a couple of years ago that it was a technical thing that all people playing it were striving for, like trying to get it exactly. I mean, quote unquote, right. And mm-hmm. until. Um, until this latest Yo-Yo Ma album where he kind of said, like, I'm going to, I'm going to like lean into it in different places. I, mm-hmm. I'd never heard anyone try to do that either. And now yeah, I'm excited absolutely. for people to try I, that. But he, but he, this is his third recording of the box suites. Yeah. And he recorded it in, in three different stages of, of his career. And that was in a way, you know, I, I, um, I just, that, that's my last album actually. It was all, all the box suites. Oh, and and I've I been listening to it for a while. By the, I, sorry. I've been listening to it for a while. Yours. Oh, okay. I mean, I was, I was terrified to record them actually, you know, even, even if you had told me that I was going to do it even five years ago, I would have said, Oh, no way. I'm going to wait until I'm 60 mm-hmm. because that's, it's, um, I suppose Bach, uh, for us musicians is kind of that they let's say the equivalent of what Shakespeare would be to, to actors. I and mean, this is kind of, it, it's very, um, it's, it's stuff that you feel like, okay, you need the experience, you need the, the, the life and the life experience and the wisdom to really do do justice to it. And what I kind of realized, and I, I talked to Yo-Yo about this actually about a year ago. No, was it, you know, two years ago or so um, when I was making the decision to, uh, to set down recording dates and recording times as well. Uh, and he said, uh, and he gave me really, really amazing advice. Actually. I, I've known him for a long time. And um, it was more or less something which I was kind of wrestling with, but he, which he kind of reaffirmed, which is that um, Bach, it, it's living music. And I was, I, I finally had the courage to put them down onto takes when I realized, okay, this is how I am thinking about this right now. This is, I'm, I was 37 yeah. and I was in a certain stage of my life and I had lived with the sweets for you know, my whole life basically. And in 15 years, I might record them again, and they might be very different. And that's great, because Bach is truly living music. And it's something that evolves in one's mind, in one's heart, and everything else. And so that's, um, that's how I kind of got the courage to do it. It's just, it's, you're creating something from no recordings. 
And yeah. and when you think back to when they were made, it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like he was scoring a movie when he made no. those things. Those no, sounds no. they just he, they came through a pencil from his head. I would imagine. Right. It's mm-hmm. a, it's just it's really stunning. Mm-hmm. Okay, I should ask you a diabetes question to keep people up. <laughs> Or this is just going to turn your into... Listeners, your listeners are, are going to be like, is this a diabetes podcast? Did Scott just get this girl on and ask her about the cello and forget about the diabetes stuff? Uh, <laughs> so I'm hoping people listening will be drawn to try to try your album. Like, I really Oh, I really thank do. you. Thank you. That would be great. I'm just thrilled that I found it, honestly. So when you're uh, when you're diagnosed, is it pens? Do you get pens or do you just get insulin in the no. vial? No, it, um, it was injections. It was syringes uh, with NPH and regular. And regular, right. How long did you do that for? Yeah. Do you remember how long you did that before you went to a faster acting insulin? Uh, yes. It was about, I mean, before Humalog, it was maybe three years. Okay. And that was a revelation that I didn't have to take my um, my shot, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes before I ate a meal. And so much less planning Thank God was it who uh, it was involved, and so then I I switched to I remember I I switched to ultra lente, and lente, and then we had then there were the pens, and then when I was sixteen, so I'd had I'd had it for almost seven years. I switched to a pump. Wow, Medtronic Mini Med. Everyone started with that one, I think. Yeah. I actually just got off it. I was very loyal until like five months ago. I switched to the tandem. Oh, the are you using the Control IQ? Not the control IQ because um, I don't like the target that it's set. I, I use the basal IQ because it doesn't keep me between 110 and 160. I want to have better control than that. So I hear people put it in sleep mode all the time to get tighter control. Okay. These are things I hear. Okay. My daughter uses the DIY loop, the, 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 open, oh. a, the open APS one. Oh. So like she's getting like auto boluses when her blood sugar goes up and and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's very All right. Cool. Well, I might have to pick your brain about that. Okay. <laughs> so you're using a, a Dexcom G6? Yes. Yeah. That's a big leap from how you started. That huh? was that was huge. That was probably the biggest difference because during my pregnancy, which was in 2015 and 2016, I was on the G5. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as I mean it was it was great, but it, it it's not it was not as accurate. There was still, you know, a lot of a lot of finger sticking. So yeah, I mean now now it's kind of a new life and uh and even even now without, I mean, of course, I mean, I work hard to keep my blood sugar under control, but I mean, I know I could get it better, but it was, it's like, it's easy to hit like six now mm-hmm. I mean, or easier to hit six now than it, than it ever has been. Yeah. So, no, I, I completely yeah. agree. I think the people yeah. who listen to this podcast would agree with you as well. So this show is mainly about like how to use insulin. And so oh, most of the people okay. who listen to the show probably have A1Cs that are closer to six if they've been listening for more than a couple of months. Fantastic. Really cool. Okay. And I'm really proud of, but I'm wondering. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking back to middle school where they brought us all in the cafeteria and brought all the instruments in the world in front of us. And I was like, I'm going to go get that cello. And then I (laughs) I moved, by the way, it would not have worked out. I'm, I just, I know I couldn't have done it. I'm, I'm a little like, I can listen to it. I can appreciate it. I don't think I could have created it. But anyway, I'm moving towards the cello and this girl steps in front of me and takes the last one. And I end up with a saxophone in my hand and I'm like, this isn't what I wanted to do. That's not the same. same. (laughs) So anyway, I don't play an instrument. (laughs) I hope that girl still does, whoever she is. I hope she she does too. I I hope she took it and did some really great stuff with it. But if I would have found it and had diabetes, What's mm. the, what's that like? Like, like, I mean, I can, I think it must've taken, it must've, I mean, that, that Yo-Yo Ma concert I went to must've been three and a half hours long or more. And he didn't get up yeah. or move or walk away. Yep. So how do you do that with diabetes? Well, um, I'm very proud to say I've never had a single low on stage in the entire 28 years that I've had it. I've always I've always managed, and so, and even way before the, the technology was there to, where it's much easier to avoid a low now than it was certainly in the '90s or yeah. the early the early aughts. Um, I uh, before the CGM, I would test my blood sugar. Um, I mean, I always tested quite a lot. I mean, I was not, you know, I've, I've been luckily mo- most of the time that I've had diabetes, I've had very tight control. But um, the hour in the hour before a, a concert, I would test my blood sugar at least maybe six times, 
So an hour before, you know, 45 minutes before, mm-hmm. half an hour before, 15 minutes before, and then like twice, twice more to make sure that I was, I was never below 130 before okay. I went on stage. Like, like between 130 to 150 is kind of my sweet spot that, you know, just, you know, a reasonable number. I mean, not like an ideal number, but some, a place where I had a kind of threshold to drop because just the, kind of the physical effort of playing um, and kind of the, the concentration required would always, um, would always make me drop a little bit. Okay. And so for for the for a Bach marathon, uh, I would uh, the, the the way the way I structured um, those concerts, which were three and a half hours long, mm-hmm. um, I would do the first three suites. The, I mean, the, the three out of six suites, right? So the first three suites are about seven sixty five seventy minutes, and so I would make sure I was about you know around one forty, and um, and then there would be a fifteen minute intermission at the 70 minute mark. And then, um, where I would just make sure that I was, you know, I, I would, I would keep some protein and maybe a, a few grapes backstage. Right. Um, so a little, kind of, a little slow acting and a little fast acting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Carbs, exactly. Right? And of course having glucose tablets around, you know, in, in case I, w- you know, in case I walked the state, I walked off stage at like 65 or something, right. um, which, Almost has never happened, actually. I mean, I I wound I was like one ten or so when I when I walked off stage after that, and then I would just rate you know I would I would take like I don't know four grapes or something, and I would get myself back up to one thirty. What's adrenaline like while you're playing? Is it something you control, like a like a baseball player trying to hit a baseball? It's there, and you have to quell it, or do you are you kind of zen when you play at this point? Um. Then uh, the the adrenaline. I, I I mean I'm very grateful that I that I have it and that it's not it's not something that gets in my way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always I I, feel, I mean people have asked me you know do do you get nervous and I and I always say no because I mean I I feel the butterflies but it's a kind of positive rush yeah. like um, okay I'm ready to go and it's I find it that it really focuses me so I've never had a kind of adrenaline high from a concert. Okay. I, where I've had adrenaline highs was when I was really nervous about something else. Like for example, uh, my husband had to have an eye surgery and my blood sugar shot to 320 and would not come down. Even I was like pumping and pumping and <laughs> pumping and, it, and the corrections were like water. Yeah. They didn't do anything until he was out of the OR and I knew he was fine. And then my blood sugar plunged. Yeah, then, you, then you had to eat. You'd have a, you had pre-bolus for two meals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you know, that the liver was just going. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I just, yeah. I, I mean, what's the biggest collection of people you've played in front of ever? Do you know? Uh, I think it was eighty thousand. I played a concert in a park. Wow! Um, so like a like a like a pop concert, but I mean that, that that's unusual for a classical sure. concert. I mean, there um, one of the most enjoyable experiences I had actually was doing the Bach Marathon at the Elbphilharmonie in Hamburg, which um, it's a Toyota Hall. Um, the, the, the same uh, acquisition who did the, the uh, Disney Hall okay. in, in LA, and. Uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous, and what they also what they did with the lighting was incredibly special. Like there was a spot um, around the piano bench because, of course, in a Bach marathon, a solo Bach marathon, it's just me mm-hmm. on the stage, and there's a uh, and it's um and and so I mean to do it to do that kind of in a in a huge hall if if the lights are fully on doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. and so they were able to create a kind of intimacy where I was very aware of the people around me, but. Yet it was a, it was a, it, I felt like I was kind of in a room with them, mm-hmm. like having a direct conversation the way we are now, and um, I just felt like I was playing kind of on a mountain on uh, under the stars. That sounds nice. And that was for I think twenty two hundred people. It has a is a capacity hall, so that was yeah that that was really really enjoyable. So I I learned something about people at Carnegie Hall once, and I wonder if you agree with, with this or don't. Sure. I, I I noticed that when people are told to be quiet. They can't be. And when they don't need to be quiet, they have no trouble with it whatsoever. And it's always throat clearing. Yep. Right. And and then the, and the, and the, and the gum, uh, sorry, the, the cough drop pepper is like, right. Right. It's, 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 um, so I've seen Hiryo Ma a number of times, but one of the times was as, was it at Carnegie Hall and he finished playing and there was a break. I think we were seeing, uh, the goat road stuff, maybe. The goat rodeo. Yeah, yeah, the goat rodeo stuff. And and during the break, 
the place is silent. Everybody's sitting around sort of like, you know, like they're in church and being quiet and everything. And then the lights dim a little and they start to play and that's it. It just happens everywhere. And I'm like, I'm like, God, this is like the most interesting psychological look into people's minds. Like as soon as they thought, oh, I have to be quiet, they, they, they couldn't be. So I'm not wrong about that. Right. Oh, oh, God, no. Okay. I, well, it's like it's like children. I mean, like, as I said, I've, I've, um, you know, I have a four year old. I mean, and if I tell her she has to be quiet, she's like, <laughs> and, uh, I just, and if and if not, you know, and if I totally leave her alone, she's like sitting quietly, you know, reading a book or doing a puzzle or something like right. that. It's totally fine. I, I, I so have always wondered what that is because that's the first time I noticed it, and now I notice it everywhere. I think we're I think we're just very contrarian beings, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I just find it really fascinating. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's right. I love yeah. it. I'm like, now? It's now? <laughs> okay. Well, it's I think it's an, you raise an interesting point. I think it's uh, it's also people are generally uncomfortable with silence, particularly in New York, mm. by the way, where there's just no silence at any time. Right. And so you find very often if there's a pause, like for example, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Shostakovich's first cello concerto. I which, know I have it. It's in my giant group of cello music, but I don't know if I could recall it right now. Sure, sure. There's a, the third movement is a cadenza, which means that the cello is playing entirely alone for about seven minutes, and then um, and then of course the orchestra comes in um, for the last movement, and there are these really really quiet moments and moments of silence and pauses that are that are written in the music and i remember once i was playing it in new york where it was the, the rhythmic pauses you know mm-hmm. and it was literally i would be like plunk and, then, <laughs> plunk, <laughs> and so there was no silence at all and so at a certain and there was this guy who was i think he was having kind of a problem but i mean he didn't have the problem when the music was actually not loud enough to kind of cover it up and it was I, I mean, it was hard to hard not to kind of break character, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> everybody needs that. to look deep into their soul about why they open up their phone when the movie starts, <laughs> and 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 weren't weren't looking right? at it during the previews. Yeah. <laughs> I think there is a kind of anxiety about being in a quiet spot. It must be. I need it around around the cello specifically. I need yeah. the quiet because I don't know how to explain this to people. I'm not listening to it. I'm trying yeah. to absorb it. And I don't yeah. know another way to say that, really. So no, that's that's fair. That's totally fair. I need to be in a like. I think the best thing that could happen to me is a deprivation tank with the cello. I think that I would really like. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Yeah, yeah, that might not be <laughs> right? great, right? Hey, hey, are instruments like? I'm I'm assuming they're all different, but can you mm. pick one up, play it, pick up another one, and play it? It's not the same. Like I'm sure you have one that you use, but. I mean, uh, the cello you mean the cello. Yeah, like, you're not talking about another type of instrument. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I could I could pick up any cello and play it. Yes, but um, no, I mean, my my cello is a very wonderful, rare Italian instrument, which I'm lucky to lucky to have. So, so how do you? I don't. How would you? How would a person categorize you? Like, you know, like if you were a football player, you'd are you like an all-star or are you like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, like how do, like, how does somebody who's as good at this as you are, like yeah. how many people in the world even do this, I guess, in a notable way? Well, there are not that many professional classical musicians. It's a, it's a kind of specialized, um, you know, there, there, it's, it's definitely, it's a kind of, um, it's a limited audience. We are always trying to expand our audience, but mm-hmm. let's face it, they're, they're not, not everybody's listening to classical music every day. Um, as much as I would like them to, <laughs> I, I, I mean, like I think too. it's the greatest music there is, but we're, we're, we're all trying to struggle to get that message out. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's like dancers or athletes. I mean, it, as, as you were saying, I mean, it's a, it's a huge amount of discipline and uh, discipline and hard work and blood, sweat and tears in, in training, which, um, you know, not everyone wants to spend their time doing and so there there they're not that many people who go go into it professionally right. how well that brings me to the question of how long did it take you like however whatever proficiency you feel like you're at now how long does that take to accomplish oh, i mean i i feel like i'm I, it's a lifelong thing i mean i i always i still feel like a student um in many ways uh i mean certain things certainly get easier or and i 
and I hopefully feel like my understanding of certain music, which I keep returning to deepens over time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, and sometimes I feel like, well, I mean, I, I used to do this very naturally and now I don't feel like it's so natural anymore. Therefore, maybe I should put it away for a while and then come back to it later. It's that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing kind of evolution. I, I can't, were you, so you said you wanted to do it when you were four. Yeah. Were people looking at you like when you were six going, hey, wow, she's way better at this than the other six-year-olds, like, like way better at this than the eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds? Like, is there, was there a, did your parents, like, tell me the story that your parents tell everybody when they're like, oh, we know, like, when was that? I can't, I, I can't tell you that. No, you don't know? <laughs> or you don't want to say? You have to ask my parents. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> did they come from, like, yeah. like some musical background? Yeah, actually, my, my parents are fantastic professional musicians. Uh, my my father was the first violinist of the Cleveland Quartet for twenty years, um, and uh, and I mean from nineteen sixty nine till nineteen eighty nine. So he left when I was seven. Wow. And uh, my mother's a, a fantastic pianist, and uh, but but they were, you know, so so many people ask, well, oh, so therefore you had to do you had to do music, mm-hmm. and that's the, actually the opposite is true. They were very um, hands off about that um i wasn't i never felt in in any way any pressure coming from them uh as 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 far as becoming a musician went i mean they were they were they were kind of hippie parents they were like oh well follow your heart and right well i'm really glad that your heart didn't like lead you to like accounting or something like that (laughs) i would you know if it had been that they would have been supportive of it which is telling you i would be upset (laughs) 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 i'm sure you all would be happy uh, but, but my life wouldn't be as good. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that, you know, that it's not, I mean, there's, I'm sure it's not a, a terrible living, but it's also not, no. not a, not crazy. There's like money falling out of the ceiling or stuff like that. So you, no, it's no, a passion, right? No, I mean, as I said, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a, it's not a mass, uh, Market. mass marketed yeah. pro- uh, product. So so no, I mean we're, we're we're not we're not making pop star money. If gotcha. That's the question. <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. so well, you should be. Let me say that before I move on. You really should Thank be. You're, you. you're doing something that just so few people know how to do in a way that evokes. Uh, just people would love it if they listened. I know that I know it doesn't strike some people immediately, and there's no words, so they can't learn it quickly enough yeah, to stick a, with it. It requires. Uh, I mean some. It requires you to sit down and, as you as you were saying, absorb it because it's a long form. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's it, you know it can't be wrapped up in three minutes. You know it, it's a it's definitely it, it's it requires more from the listener than right than other types. Yeah, of. it's um I, there may have been years where I listened to certain pieces before I went to bed every night, and it mm-hmm. just it's how you so for people listening like. You know, if we just pick some random like ditty that you can like, you know, it's on the radio and you you can just it sticks in your head right away. Oh yeah, it's like it's like sound crack. It just like right away you. you but absolutely, it happens with if classical music too. If you just you have to hear it more often, you, you give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. You said you had a four year old child. Is that right? I do. I do. Yeah. I wonder how much thought goes into having a baby when you have diabetes. What did you think about before you did that? A lot, and I read a lot of books and uh, spoke with a lot of doctors and uh, did plenty of freaking out and uh, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it also I realized I I had to be selective with whom I uh, with with whom I, I chose to talk about it, just because um, a lot of people had kind of outdated um, concepts of what it meant to be diabetic and, and pregnant at the same time. Right. Those are not fun conversations to have with people who think they understand this whole thing and just naysay and, mm-hmm. and yeah. like, like you got early on, like, don't forget the cello, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, you don't have to forget anything. And it's, um, especially with this technology, I mean, honestly, exactly. It's, a big it's jump. really, it's a very different story. And, and even, even before, I mean, like uh, even, you know, five years ago when I was pregnant, there was, it was still, it was an earlier generation of the Dexcom and I didn't have a smart pump, but I mean, I achieved between 5.8 and 6.2 A1Cs and my baby was born completely healthy. And I was, you know, I, I had a great pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of hard work of course. And, um, you know, very restricted diet. Um, I, I've, I've always found for myself that low carb 
works well. Generally works much better for me than I, I mean, I, I just, um, my, my body just doesn't process carbohydrates. Well, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not one of the lucky ones with, uh, with that. And so I've, I found having a not, not quite ketogenic, but let's say very heavy on protein and fat diet has always worked better for me. I have an episode going out in a couple of days. Um, Paul Saladino, he's a doctor yeah. who has a podcast about eating carnivore. He just, I just recorded with him. Um, because on the show we do a lot of different things, but excuse yeah. me. <clears throat> one of them was we're doing like a how you eat kind of yeah. series because people eat in so many varied ways. I will tell you that the at the core of this podcast, I here's what happened is my daughter was diagnosed when she was two and I was oh, wow. a stay at home dad. Okay. And for the first couple of years, I was so bad at it. And her A1C was always like almost nine. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, she had a seizure when she was little um, oh, it was man. a bit of a mess. Hard. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wrote for years about it. I had a really popular blog, and I wrote for years on it. And one day I said to my wife, like, after I had her, her, her A1C was dialed in, and it, like, it was just easy. Like, I could just do it, you know? I said to my wife, I'm like, there's a system in here, like, inside of these ideas, you know? So I put them together, and I wrote about them for a while. And then one day, almost seven years ago, I started this podcast, and I started telling people, like, I started putting diabetes into, like, easy-to-understand ideas, right? Yeah. And my goal was always, I don't care how you eat, if you understand yeah. how to use insulin, you could have an A1C like this as well, right? Yes, absolutely. That, that, that's been my whole goal. And now I'm trying to have people in who talk about the way they eat, whether yeah. you're, you know, you're high-protein or you're, you're, I don't know, you're a vegetarian. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. yeah there are I many just, ways to do it. There right. are many ways to do it. Right. Um, but I found for me that... Uh, for myself that a yeah let's say ketogenic light diet works best for me yeah i listen i don't have diabetes but if i have too much sugar or flour i will start retaining water like a pregnant lady yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wants that nobody no wants. i've seen myself both ways this is this is a better way uh but but yeah. no seriously like i could eat what what most people would consider to be a very reasonable set of meals mm. for a week and be mm. 10 pounds heavier at the end of the week. And it's all Absolutely. just water weight. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think, mo you know, for, for most people, I mean, pe most people should lay off the flour and sugar. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an unfortunate fact of life, but it's true. Right. Which is yeah. terrible because a cookie is nice, but, um, and I don't care it. what people right. say. I don't want a cookie made out of almond flour. You can keep that. Yeah, <laughs> what am I doing? With what am I going to do with that? And, and I've always found like, if I have, I, I mean, I would, I will have a cheat meal once every 10 days. That's, yeah. that's something I need to do for myself. I mean, not, not during pregnancy, but during, uh, you know, normal times. Yeah. Um, and my advice are actually pancakes. It's a good like one. Buttermilk, gooey, uh, syrup, blueberry butter. Pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Butter, brown, maple syrup, the, the works. Yeah. And I find that having that once every 10 days is far more interesting and better and more satisfying and makes me eat better the rest of the time than having these kind of diet pancakes, which are keto pancakes. I mean, which just tastes like cardboard to me. So, um, yeah, I, I, I prefer to have the real deal once and then, you know, be really strict the rest yeah. of the time. No, it's, it's all doable. Like I, so my daughter's 16 now and oh, wow. her A1C has been between five, two and six, two for six and a half years. Maybe I think that is amazing. Yeah. And that she eats so whatever amazing. she wants. Like she had graham crackers and some weird cool whip with pumpkin recent, like this afternoon. It's just, I just know how to bowl us. Listen, if you had oh, me okay. with you, you, you I could take her. care of those pancakes for you if you need me to. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll Fantastic. pre bolus. We'll make a little temp basil increase. We'll do a exactly. couple of different things in there. Exactly. Yeah. You got it down. Smooth it right over. Um, how, how, so when I was getting this set up, someone said that you were hoping to get a little more involved with diabetes stuff. Is that something you're thinking yeah, of? Yeah, actually, oh, I mean, I mean, I'm in, I, I'm now, I'm, I'm an official spokesperson for JDRF. Oh, cool. Uh, and also, um, I, I'm also an official kind of spokesperson slash consultant for eGenesis, which is a, I, I mean, they they research not only type one diabetes, but they're 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 basically cloning organs. And wow. so they're, they're, they're in a, a very specific, um, angle for, for curing diabetes for research. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm working with, and we're kind of now, no, no, no pun intended, no pun intended, but we're kind of working in tandem, uh, together <laughs> with JDRF and eGenesis <laughs> with the tandem pump. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, um, I'm getting much louder about my, uh, you know, advocacy. Did you ever, as a child or a younger person, did you ever hide it? 
the diabetes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you? yeah. Uh, a lot, actually. Um, I started playing professionally when I was 14. Uh, so I signed with the management and I was, you know, I wasn't doing that much. I was maybe one week per month. I would, I would be uh, doing like a concerto with orchestra, maybe a couple of recitals here and there. Um, but especially cause I was so young and, uh, you know, it was a new management and they, they didn't, and this was still in the mid nineties. So mm-hmm. the, the preconceptions of diabetes, they were definitely changing by that point, but they are not what they are now for mm-hmm. sure. And so my, I remember I speaking to my parents about it and saying, I'm not going to tell my, tell any professional contact about this. So I did hide it. Mm-hmm. I, I kept it hidden from, from, from everyone who was really not, let's say a close family friend or uh, a very sort of trusted person. And so I kept it a secret from my manager for three years Wow! until uh, j- just because, I mean, I, I was, I was very driven and I was quite ambitious and I didn't want anyone to treat me with kid gloves um, right. from any sort of, preconceived idea and uh she actually found out because when i was 17 um i travel i started traveling by myself a bit but i didn't stay in hotels of course at that age mm-hmm. I, I stayed with host families okay and um i remember going i went up to a family in maine they were a wonderful family and i stayed with them for about five days and they uh um that th- there was a girl about my age who was living there and she had type one and then, of course, we, you know, yeah. we compared notes all the time. And and so my manager found out this way. And they said, oh, yes, and and, and, and both of them have type 1. How wonderful, you know, how, well, not how wonderful, but how, how, how crazy. Yeah. And then my, and my manager, who was very uh, New York style, tough, but very, actually very warm and fuzzy on the inside, she said, I didn't know you're diabetic. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> did you tell her why? Or did you just play it off and keep going? No, I she, she, you broke up. Hold on a second. Oh, sorry. No, don't worry. Can you hear me? I can, but we got uh, a bad. I'll I'll cut my video out and see if that helps us a little bit. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Well, she said. Uh, she said, "Are you really diabetic?" And I said, "Yeah." And then she said, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" And I said, "I don't know. Just because." Because <laughs> I didn't need I mean, you. I mean, like, why would I tell you? I mean, it's, it's irrelevant. And Was then it- she said. Sorry? I was going to say, was it freeing to tell somebody? It was definitely freeing to tell her and, and realize that I didn't have to hide it anymore. Yeah. Cool. Definitely. So, definitely. I yeah. can understand why you did it. And a lot of people do. And it, it makes sense to me. You don't want somebody to limit you or, exactly. like you said, make a decision that, oh, you definitely can't do this before you get a chance to. Exactly. A lot of good I, I didn't want anyone even to have an even an unconscious bias. That was that was really a, a impossible. And I mean, even a bit later, I remember when I would want to do sort of athletic things, um, where you know, and 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 I was I wouldn't say I was I mean fully out with it. I mean, I wasn't shouting it from the rooftops. So people knew, and they would say, "Well, are you sure that you want to do that?" Like. Did you eat enough before, or you're not gonna, you know, get low or something, or pass out? Are you? The, the sort of insensitive things like that. Yeah. Then all the questions start, and all the judgments, right. and the side yeah. eye, and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, all right, I don't think I'm gonna talk about this anymore. And but then there's the other side of it as well, which is that, oh well, I mean, I I always forget that you have it because you know you handle it so well, it's so easy for you, <laughs> and that's also not. I mean. I prefer that perhaps to the other, but it's that that's also a bit, you know. It, yeah, we we have an, not ideal either. Let's just put it that way. I have an episode <laughs> about how to about how uh, a lay person can understand diabetes, and it's just sort of an explanation of it. And it's it it's a very common thing is that most things that people think to say that they believe are comforting aren't really. It, you know, yeah. when they come from the outside, they just don't recognize it. Uh, I do think they're trying to be. Yeah, kind about it, you know. Absolutely. I mean, there's um, I I I don't I don't judge anyone for making a comment this way, and it, sure. especially when it's meant as a kind of encouragement. Um, it's just yeah, it it it's it's a tough one. Yeah. Um, you know, you 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 learn to you learn to have a. I mean, I'm sure your daughter can relate to this too. I mean, one learns to have a pretty thick skin. Yeah, 
No, I, I, I believe so. I, I think even parents, I'm going to try my video again. I think even parents yeah. and anybody, you know, loved ones, it's hard to hear someone say something that burns in your chest and you're, and you have to be like, oh, well, let me explain it to you. It's not like that. Or you have to decide, I'm not going to explain this to so I'm just going to walk away no, and let it I, be. You, yeah. you, don't, you don't owe anyone an explanation. You, yeah. you know, it's just, well, you know, I, I'm doing what I'm doing and, that, and that's it. And, you know, I live with it and that's, that's all it is. Okay. What kind of music do you listen? So do you... For for enjoyment, do you listen to music or is it like, yeah? yeah? What do you listen to? I do. Uh, I would say actually, eighty five ninety percent of the time I'm listening to classical music because I really love it and and it's uh, yeah. I mean it's it, it's it's what it's what moves me. It's what it's what I really truly love. Um, as for other types of music, which I, which I also love very much. I mean, I, I, I went through a queen phase recently, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I listened to queen growing up and, but I you know, found it I, again. I love it. Yeah. Freddie Mercury is one of my heroes. Right. Uh, Bjork, I loved as a teenager and then kind of, I, I, I went a little cold on it. And now I, now I adore her Finding again. It again. She's amazing. Interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Beatles, of course, too. And, um, I jump through stuff too. I have to tell you that one of the things I listen to more than I am comfortable telling people, but Sarah Bareilles, I listen to a lot and I don't know why I'm laughing. She's got such a wonderful voice. And, uh, and I, I just, I love how she writes and, and I don't, again, uh, people listening are going to learn a lot about me today, but I, (laughs) but I do, uh, you know, I go the other way. I, I, I'm kind of all over the place. I've been listening to a lot of, um, more, uh, Oh gosh, uh, a little more jazzy stuff once in a while, and mm. Gary Clark Jr. I mm. really love how he plays the guitar. It's a interesting mix of southern and not southern. It's I don't I'll know how to check to, it out. I've never heard it. He's yeah. he's he's a little more like Jimi Hendrix than than anything oh, I else. Love he's so good, you know. Um, but yeah, and I also do this thing where I'm very careful to, and I'm I'm glad about Apple Music lets me follow my kids and what they're listening to. That's very cool. And I like my kids a lot. I think they're decent people. And so when they're listening to things that I don't get, I try really hard. That's good of you. Right, to do it. So I do know um, uh, Pop Smoke, in case you're wondering. I'm sure that rap might have missed you. Uh, But I'm I'm trying to – I've learned to like Meek Mill. And uh, I just – it's just some – my son listens to a lot of rap music. And he's oh, a great. bright kid. And I'm like, you know what? There must be something in here. So I talked to him about good. it. Well, it's good for you for being open-minded. That's great. But plus, I don't want to be an old person one day who's like, what's that you're listening to? I don't like it. No, you, you know, like, no, I don't no, want to sound like that, that ever. That out of touch. Who, who's <laughs> coming up in cello that I should be paying attention to? Well, you mentioned the royal wedding. I mean, you heard Shakukana Mason, who is wonderful and a super sweet guy and uh, yeah you d- definitely keep an eye out for him okay i keep messaging yeah. him privately and he will not answer me back i'm sure i just i'm like i must oh. come on i'm like please come on my podcast and he won't and um but <laughs> but he won't even answer me it's fine he oh. seems busy it's okay no but i would i i wonder too if people don't sometimes want to mix their professional with their diabetes too which well, makes you know, sense to me i yeah i mean he he's very young and uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think he's, he's publicly type one diabetic. I mean, he's, he's not hiding it, but you know, people go through different stages with how much they want to talk about it. And it, it, it could be that. Makes know? sense to me. He and his yeah. family did something like his sisters and maybe a problem. I can't, it's his, uh, all of his siblings. He, he did something on Facebook uh, recently. Yeah. And I was like, this is as good as a concert I've ever been to. Like they were like pulling it off in their family room. It looked like I was yeah. really something. Have you tried that whole thing since COVID? Have you been like, Hey, I'm going to play on my Instagram. Actually. Yeah. In fact, right when it's, when, when, it, when we were truly in lockdown, um, I did a, I, I did a project called 36 days of Bach. So this was, it was, it actually went from March 17th until April 21st. That cool. was 36 days. Um, and because there are 36 uh, movements of, of Bach written for cello. So okay. six weeks, six, uh, six movements each. And um, I posted one movement per day and I went through all six suites and I would, and at the end of each suite, I would um, do a live uh, Facebook session actually. Cool. Um, but it was it was posted all on, on all of my social media channels. People can um, find it still then, and and oh. that was a especially kind of when when it 
when the reality hit that we were not going to be congregating in any concert hall anytime soon. Yeah. It was, um, you know, as performers, we are trained and what we want to do is just to give, we want to share, we want to communicate in that way. And so that was, that was my way of, of doing that, of sharing. Well, I'll make sure to put links to your social media in here so people can find it, but you are playing in public just in Europe, right? Uh, yes, I did. Fi- I did kind of five solid, no, three solid weeks of work in Europe. Uh, just, just now actually it's like September, October, um, because they, things are, th- things are happening in Germany and, uh, and in Switzerland and to a certain, uh, in very, very modest extent in the UK there, I mean, c- kind of recorded streams kind of the way they are here in the U S. Right. Um, but I did, yeah, I mean, I kind of had this burst of activity. I had maybe, um, let's see how many, like 10 concerts, uh, in the space about three weeks. So that audience, that was a big it's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> this gap of time this year is going to cause gaps in the future that we don't realize yet. People, oh, yeah. people not performing and 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 honing their crafts and and getting better. You think about like bands that have to go out and just bar tour to get good enough that somebody will pay attention. None of that's ha- none of that's happening right now. Um, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's a, it's no a kidding. Really, really difficult time. I uh, I appreciate that you that you did that and you wanted to keep going and just try to find some. I think everybody oh, yeah. feels that way to some oh, yeah. degree. And, uh, and actually I've been doing quite a lot of recording. I mean, as soon as I, uh, I arrived back in San Diego, uh, kind of mid October and, uh, recorded all five Beethoven's laws right away mm-hmm. at the Conrad, uh, Conrad Perez center, um, which is a glorious chamber, chamber music hall. It's just, the acoustics are unbelievable. Like, I mean, you, you once this is all over, you've got to go and, and listen to some concerts there. I would. It's, yeah. it's really pretty amazing. Do you, um, I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. Do you ever do you have a recording of Vivaldi? I find that to be the most joyous of the cello. I don't. No, unfortunately, I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> One day, <laughs> look at your yeah. apologizing to me. Don't <laughs> apologize. I was just it, it, that to me seems the closest to like the holidays. I don't know what that. Oh yeah. Is that right? You oh, know? sure. Okay. I don't know what I'm literally a, a neophyte. I don't know anything about it. I can't be technical or specific. I can just tell you that's great. it's the greatest thing ever. So, well, then, um, but this is what, you know, there, there, there's no need for that. I mean, we, you know, I, I'm thrilled that you love it. This is, it makes, it's making my day. It's, okay. it's just great. I'm glad. Um, yeah. What, what is there? Is there any modern music that fits cello? Like are people still writing for it now? Stuff that I don't oh, know yeah. about. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, for sure. There, there's, and actually, it's a very uh, special time, I think, for for um, contemporary classical composers because there, it, it used to be that there was kind of certain styles that were acceptable, mm-hmm. quote unquote, to write in. Uh, you weren't taken seriously if you wrote something that was too, let's say, too easy on the ears, too accessible. Uh, whereas now, I mean, kind of anything goes. Um, I mean, there, and and that means that there are a bunch of different languages that. Uh, that, that people are writing and some are writing very, in very kind of tonal way that kind of looking to the past um, oh. like pretty melodies and th- things like this. And others are, are writing in totally atonal way, very dissonant, um, very kind of complicated rhythmically. And I mean, I, I think it's all really, and, and, and sorry, and others are kind of relying on technology on electronics, uh, special effects, and it's all super, super interesting. And so, no, I, I, I feel lucky because I, I have a lot of relationships with, several contemporary composers and they're all very very different from one another and so um so that's right. that's something so i have a lot more to find um can i ask yeah. a question like to, like a real nuts and bolts question that i've never quite been able to make sense of in my head the bow is nothing more than horsehair no it's a it's a wooden stick and with with horsehair and um and then the frog is well i mean some of the older bows were made with an ind- endangered tortoiseshell unfortunately I mean, bows are not made that way anymore mm-hmm. and it actually haven't been for for quite some time but um and then there's some some metal to uh to tighten the hair but then why can you pick up one bow and another bow and make the same sound with it well, they're not exactly the same they're not no so do you hear the difference in the bow and then change uh i mean i have two bows there's one bow that I really play with and one kind of one bow that I just, I, I have as kind of an extra in case my bow needs to be, to have a kind of serious repair or, um, you know, I don't know something bad happens to it basically. No kidding. See, that yeah. makes more sense to me because I, I, if you've ever watched someone, like, I don't know what the terminology is, but you, 
the bow gets rolled during while it's making notes and you're going like you're more on the side of it you're more in the center of it like and it's and i just thought yeah. like how can it be the same for every one so so you well, have no, like a, it's it's absolutely that's a very good question there it's absolutely not the same um, right. and bows are no bows are all over the place in terms of the the weight is always slightly different um the and even the type of horsehair that some people prefer is, can, can be different how do you choose one is it like harry potter <laughs> A little bit. Actually. Just finds you. Or? Fact, I, I, I love those broomstick scenes or, or, the, or the ones, you know, so yeah. it's like choosing an instrument. It's true. It's true. No kidding. So you, wow. That's really, listen, I don't know how else to tell you that I think what you do is really genuinely amazing. And um, it feels magical to me. It, it really does. I, I don't, I, I, I hope people, I'm going to try to put enough of your music in this episode that people will want to go find the album and listen through it. Oh, awesome. That'd be amazing. I really want them to. Um, It it just, my life would not be the same if people didn't write music for the cello. That certainly wouldn't be. I I like it fine mixed with their stuff, but I, it, it it doesn't get, when it gets pulled out in front is, is when I, um, like what's that? Um, there's a thing that Yo-Yo Ma put out recently. Uh, There's a track it's called, Waltz Whitman, do you know mm. that? I haven't heard that actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to listen to it. The, and, but the violin is just kind of the it's it feels very American to me, yeah. um, almost like uh, folk folk music. Oh yeah, no, he, well he puts out a lot of that. Yeah, but but the violin, I, I can't think of the guy's name. This is so insulting. Edgar. Uh, Edgar Meyer is the ba- is the bass player. It is the bass yeah. player, and he's in there. And then there's a, a violinist Mark and Connor, maybe uh, maybe and it. I can look. Hold on a second. And it just it the violin takes over and I love it. And at the same time, I'm like, could you shut up so I can hear the cello? And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So hold on a second. I'm gonna yeah. find it for you. And then I'll let you out of here. I know you have a life oh, you no have problem. to live. Um uh, and I I, I, I do want to tell you a story. So we were supposed to record the other day and it didn't it didn't go well. Um, we just got time zone messed up. Like you said, you're um, the the people who were helping you get this set up believed you to be yes, in I'm Europe. So sorry about that. No, no, no. While you were in, I want to tell you the rest of it because the rest of it is hilarious. Um, Stuart Duncan, Edgar Meyer, and Chris Thiel. Alone, oh, Chris Thiel. Oh, yeah, Thiel. Okay. You uh, anyway? It's it's. I love that. It's a short piece, yeah. and I really love it. But anyway, so the night before I was going to record with you, I'll end with this. Um, my computer, the one I'm using right now, the one that has 63 recorded but not released episodes of this podcast on it, just shut off and wouldn't turn back on again. Jesus. So I spent the entire night, I literally found the, the courage to erase it and put it back on from a backup, which was, trust me, I was like, I, my wife's like, you look like you were going to throw up. And I said it. And so, um, and so I rebacked it up. I got this computer online. Five minutes before you and I were supposed to record at eight o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And I was like, I did it. I did it. And then you weren't there. <laughs> and like, I, I was, re- I was <laughs> relieved. I have to be honest with you. I was relieved. But um, okay. in the, well, all right. it worked out for the best. hundred percent yeah. did. But in the so I woke up at seven in the morning to the to the the backup just about being done. And to re- I, I started getting nervous and I put your music on and it calmed me down. And so I just stayed chill and I waited for it to happen. And then it it all worked out for the better because I was probably exhausted. It probably wouldn't have been as much fun as I hope this was. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was great. I I really appreciate you you doing this uh, a a ton. I I don't know. It just means the world to me. Just a huge thank you to Alyssa Weilerstein for coming on the show and talking about the cello and type 1 diabetes. I just had the greatest time. You really should check her music out at alyssawilerstein.com. A-L-I-S-A-W-E-I-L-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to her website, as well as Alyssa's social media. I'd like to thank Alyssa's record label, Pentatone, 
for allowing me to use cuts from her latest album, Bach Cello Suites, here in the podcast. For those of you who don't love the cello as much as I do, I want to implore you to just try the cello suites. Take a few hours and just absorb it. It's absolutely life-affirming and life-changing, and Alyssa does as good a job with it as anyone I've ever heard. I'll leave you now with Alyssa's version of the prelude from Suite One. Please go find her on Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere you listen to music. Weilerstein Bach, you won't be sorry. listening who knows Sheku Kane Mason, please tell him I'd love for him to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you soon.